most of them don't even know who their client is. Yep, they think it's everybody. They think it's everybody. That's they got a face, if they got hair, you know, that, a body that's my dress. <laughs> yeah. That's not my client. Mm-hmm. I turn people down all the time. That we're not a fit. Yeah. And you have to be able to do that. But then that goes back to the bondage part. If you're living beyond your means, you can't afford to say no. Mm. For something better. I love that for you. I'm praying. Maybe I need to get on eHarmony. You should ah! leave uh, these other ones that are free alone. I'll leave the free ones alone. Mm-hmm. It's just, you have to make an investment. You have to make an investment in yourself. You've mm-hmm. got to feel like you're worthy. And in order to do it, if you have to spend $40 a month for three months, people would spend that on martinis. People would say, oh, you know, I think, I'm thinking about hiring Crystal. Oh, not right now, because, you know, she's got cancer. Oh, no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't say anything until July 13th, when I drove, had my last radiation treatment, and I drove out of the parking lot, and I pulled over on the side of the road, and I went, <laughs> I did that shit. Welcome to the Friends in Beauty podcast, a safe space for ambitious beauty industry creatives to have real talk, get authentic answers and practical tools to grow their businesses. Join me every week as me and my special guests reveal the keys to longevity and success in the beauty industry from the ups and downs of their journey to the nitty gritty of their struggles and triumphs. We're spilling the tea on it all and most importantly, having fun while doing it. You ready? Hey, what's up? It's your best friend in beauty, Aquia Robinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Friends in Beauty podcast. I am so happy to have you here, and I hope you're listening to this episode in high spirits and in good health. Now, on today's episode of the Friends in Beauty podcast, I'm really excited to welcome Crystal Wright to the Friends in Beauty guest chair. So Crystal Wright is a beauty business coach, an author of what most people or most beauty pros consider their beauty Bible, which is the hair, makeup, and fashion styling career guide. It's phenomenal. So welcome to the Friends of Beauty podcast, Crystal. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. (sighs) I am so excited to have you. Yeah, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Of course, of course, you have been in the beauty industry. You're like a staple in the beauty industry. So to have you here is just an honor. And I already know the Friends of Beauty audience is going to love this this conversation. (laughs) Wonderful. I'm excited. Yay. So before we jump into all the good stuff, we're going to start off with some icebreakers to have a little fun, get us warmed up. And so the Friends and Beauty audience can get to know you outside of what you do professionally. So the first one, just give us three random facts about you. I'm from Tacoma, Washington. Okay. I am one of three children and I'm the oldest. Okay. And I met my partner Stewie on eHarmony. Oh, nice. I like that. How long ago? Believe it or not, 10 years ago. Nice. Were you just like watching one of those commercials and saw eHarmony? It was like, let me try this. No, it's like he makes jokes about it all the time. He says, you were dating on all the uh, online sites. But um, I, 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 I had been on a couple of sites and I just felt like if you want to meet a man of substance, 
you have to make an investment. Don't think you're going to spend $5.99 a month and find a dude who can take you to France. That's not going to happen. Right, right. That makes so much sense. Right. So I was living in LA. He was living in the UK. I went on eHarmony. I saw he looked at me because you know how those things are. And I was sitting there going, well, are you going to do something? <laughs> she so took a shot. He did. He took his shot on the 27th of July. He was on his way to Houston. Uh, the 1st of August, he flew me to Houston to meet him. And that was August 3rd. And that is our anniversary, August 3rd, 2013. That's how long we've been together. Wow. I love that. I love that story. <laughs> and he's a good dude. I love that. I love that for you. I'm praying. Maybe I need to get on eHarmony. Shoot. <laughs> and leave uh, these other ones that are free alone. Oh, leave the free ones alone. Mm -hmm. It's just, you have to make an investment. You have to make an investment in yourself. You've got to feel like you're worthy. And in order to do it, if you have to spend $40 a month for three months, people spend that on martinis. Right. That's like two drinks at a, just right. going out $40. Right. And I, the thing that I used to tell my friends in LA, you have to be open. You cannot go into it thinking... Well, I don't want to find a guy that's in Atlanta or Chicago or New York because I live in LA. How's that going to work? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're, you're getting way ahead of yourself. Yeah. Just have the cup of coffee. Just have the cup of coffee. I love that. Yeah. Just have the cup of coffee and then see what happens. Okay. Love that. So what is, what is your guilty pleasure right now? Ooh, what is my guilty pleasure? Mine is reality TV. <laughs> Mine is anything British or Scottish or period piece okay. on Netflix. That's my okay. guilty pleasure. The Crown, which I'm watching now. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait for Bridgerton to come back on the 25th on uh, Christmas. I think it's Christmas. Um, I watched, um, Outlander, which is all about Scotland though. That's my guilty pleasure because I don't watch too much TV, but when it comes to those things, I will sit and binge watch six hours of one of those. Yeah, I feel you. I don't watch a lot of TV either. Um, so a lot of times I find myself just trying to watch a movie cause I'm like, I don't want to get sucked into a series, but if it's a good series, then I'll, I'll do it. I'm the same way. I'll look and it'll say series. I'm like, oh no, I can't do that. I scroll right past I'm, it like now. Yeah. I'm get I want I'm excited about seeing the Napoleon movie mm -hmm. that's coming out, I think, on Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, cool. With um, oh, I can't think of his name, but he played the Joker. I'm very excited about that because I love period pieces. I love history. Mm -hmm. that's going to be really good I yeah. forgot who is playing Napoleon I did see the um the preview for that I'm like this is going to be good oh yeah yeah for sure it's gonna be really good yeah so I have these things called pod decks that have like random questions in it this is a would you rather and a what the heck oh yeah. but which which one do you want would I rather or what the heck mm -hmm. they both crazy I don't know sometimes they have interesting crazy really Okay, would you rather? Would you rather? Okay, let's see. Okay. Pick a, a random. 
<laughs> That's so funny. Well, I will see it with another one first. <laughs> okay, the first one that I got was: Would you rather have very fat arms with skinny legs, or vice versa? <laughs> fat arm with skinny legs. No, I'd rather have fat legs with skinny arms for sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because I'm all about. Yeah, I'm all about my showing off my shoulders. <laughs> so that was easy that was was easy easy. yeah what do people always tell you that you're good at aside from what you do professionally listening I like that like just listening with like no no feedback or just uh well I rarely listen without wanting to give some feedback (laughs) but uh I would say listening and asking questions okay Though that's yeah, I'm a really good listener, and I think you have to be a good listener to be a good coach. Mm-hmm. That you have to ask questions in order to dig into what's really going on. So true. Yeah. yeah, all the coaches I've had, they always say like you gotta go like at least three questions deep when you're talking to people. Like, mm-hmm. You just gotta keep asking questions to really get down to the to the bottom of what they're really saying or to the source. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I always say, you have to ask that many questions to get to the bottom of what they're doing and what they're really not doing. Mm-hmm. What they're not doing, the reason that they're not successful is because of what they're not doing. Right. So true. Right? It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true. When is the last time that you did something for the first time? Oh. Uh, oh. When was the last time I did something for the first time? I was going to say go to Spain, but I did that twice. France, I did that twice. When's the last time I did something for the first time? Oh my gosh. (laughs) It makes you think like, dang, I need to. I need to do some more stuff. (laughs) When's the last time? I can't. I can't think of anything. I've been doing so much. Yeah. Was the last time I did something for the first time? I'll tell you what it was. Radiation treatment. Okay. There you okay. go. Yes. I, I saw that journey of yours. On, yeah. Uh, Radiation. Okay. That's the last thing I did. Yeah. For the first time. <laughs> I okay. hope I don't have to do it again. Right. First and last. And we're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. For sure. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> um, if you weren't, this is the last one. So if you weren't a coach, author, speaker, all these fabulous things, what else could you see yourself doing right now? Oh, right now. If I weren't an author, speaker, coach, what could I see myself doing right now? You know what I would like to do, but I don't seem to make the time to sew. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. I can really sew. Really? Like out my, like clothes? Yeah. My grandmother was a seamstress. Wow. So I learned to sew when I was a little kid. And mm-hmm. a few years ago, I got all, I'm going to sew again and went out and bought a sewing machine and the table and all that stuff. And I made one thing mm-hmm. I was done. But it relaxes me and it gives me an opportunity to be creative. Yeah. That would be something I would do. 
Nice. I like that. I took mm-hmm. a sewing class. I know it was way before COVID, but they, you know, walked you through how to make whatever is on the agenda for the, that, that day, for that day. Mm-hmm. So I made a pair of pants. And after that, I was like, ooh, I kind of, I think I think I want to sew. So one of my friends bought me a sewing machine because they saw how excited I was about it. And I probably made maybe two things on that thing since I since I've had it. So now I'm thinking about like since you said I'm like I need to sell, sell that sewing machine and get the I, money. <laughs> Just did that. That's what I did when I moved from where I was the last time in Tacoma to Renton. I mm-hmm. had a huge yard sale. I sold the sewing machine, the table, the stand, everything. Yeah, get it out of here until you get bit by that bug again. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I used to make beautiful clothes. When I was in junior high school, my teacher asked me to sew for her after she gave me an A minus instead of an A plus because I didn't do what she told me. And I was making something with plaids and you had to match it. And she mm-hmm. said, you can't do that. I said, yes, I can. <laughs> okay. So she gave me A minus instead of A plus and then asked me to sew for her. Isn't that crazy? Insane. Give me my plus. And then I think about it. Right, right. It's so, I think it's so funny the things that we remember. <laughs> like I have those moments too, but I'm like thinking back to my childhood. I'm like, this person said X, Y, and Z. And oh, then it kind of like challenges you. I can imagine like just her telling you that you couldn't do something. You're like, yes, I can. That yes. energy has like carried on with you throughout life when somebody tells you you can't do something. You're like, actually, I can't. Yeah, actually I can. Because mm-hmm. my grandmother raised me. My grandmother told me I could do anything I put my mind to. And the greatest gift my grandmother gave me was not solving all of my problems. Mm, Figure it out. When I would ask my grandmother how to do something, she'd say, well, how do you think you should do it? I don't know. Can't you just tell me? No. She'd give me a piece of paper and a pencil, sit me down at the kitchen table, see what you come up with. I'll help you, but I'm not giving you the answers. I love that. I love that. Oh, wow. I like that a lot because I have a lot of nieces and nephews. I'm like, I could definitely see myself being that auntie. Like, you know, because they're very intelligent. So like, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Because it makes them leaders instead of followers. Mm -hmm. If you give them the answers all the time, when they get into a situation that they don't know what to do, they can't think themselves out of it. And that's how you can end up in trouble. Yeah. Wrong crowd doing the wrong things at the wrong time. Because if your parents give you all of the answers, the only thing you can think to do is call your mother. Mm. And it's a lot of people still calling their mommy or daddy. That's right. grown big age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. So I want to, I want to start off by saying, I remember when I first met you, I know you probably don't remember, but I had just became a makeup artist. I started doing makeup in 2013 and I went to Bennett Career Institute and they they facilitated this bus trip to the makeup show. And that was my first time ever going to the makeup show. Mm. It was May 2013 and I saw you there for the first time. You were selling your book and I met AJ Crimson there for the first oh. time. Yeah, he turned out to be one of my mentors. Vanessa, I met her there for the first time, turned out to be one of my mentors. So I will never, ever forget the makeup show in 2013 because I've made so many connections there that have like definitely carried on throughout my journey now in the industry. So I definitely remember meeting you. I bought your book. 
because I think that was one thing I assisted Morel that weekend um, in DC. He did a symposium at the school and he was like, make sure you get Crystal Wright's book when you go to the makeup show. So definitely got the book. I still have it in my archive. I think it's over here somewhere, but yes. Well, was it the makeup show in New York, Chicago, or LA? It was in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. In New York. Yeah, when I release your episode, I had to dig in my archives and find the picture to surprise you. <laughs> but I really want to start off by talking about this book that you have, The Hair, Makeup, and Fashion Styling Career Guide. Mm-hmm. Like, what was going on in your world or just around you at the time that inspired you to create the book? Uh, I'll tell you clearly. Um, I actually lived in Los Angeles in an area called Los Feliz, and Joe Blasco had a makeup school in Los Feliz. Oh, wow. And I got a letter from a girl who had graduated from Joe Blasco Makeup School, and she didn't know how to get a job. Mm-hmm. She only knew how to do makeup. She didn't know who she should call, what she should do. She didn't have a portfolio. She didn't know how to create one. And I was heartbroken. I didn't even know her. Yeah. But she sent me this letter telling me that she if she didn't figure out how to get jobs, she was gonna have to go back home to Arizona. And she'd come to LA hoping to become a makeup artist in LA. And that's when I decided I was gonna write a little 16 page manual, 16 pages. That's all it was gonna be. And when I finished, it was 180 pages, the first one. Wow. Because the one that's out now is the seventh edition. Wow, I feel like I have the fourth. <laughs> Do you have the dark cover? No, it's white. You might Is have the fifth. The fifth, okay. You might have the fifth. So that was what inspired me. I I could I was beside myself that I couldn't do something to help her. Because mm-hmm. she wasn't ready for an agency. And I had my agency at that time. Yeah. And uh the funny thing is, once I wrote the book. Um, there was a guy by the name of Tate Holland mm-hmm. who created makeup designery, but he was working at Joe Blasco and he asked me to come over because he had heard about the book mm-hmm. and Joe Blasco didn't want to carry my book. He said, that book is nothing. Hey, what's up? I know you're enjoying the episode, but I have to put you on to Friends in Beauty's newest community, the Trailblazers Club. The Trailblazers Club is a place where success not only leaves clues, but becomes a tangible reality for beauty pros just like you. See, a lot of my friends in beauty are so talented and so skilled at what they do, but they lack the essential business skills that are needed to grow and sustain their businesses or they lack the support that is needed to stay consistent to execute their goals. And that's exactly why I wanted to create the Trailblazers Club, to be able to support you on your journey. Exclusively inside of the Trailblazers Club, you will unlock expert-led masterclasses and breakout sessions every single month, monthly Q&A and mentorship with me, your best friend in beauty, an exclusive and extensive network of beauty pros, support and accountability, access, unlimited access at that to the archive masterclasses, discounts on select Friends and Beauty events and classes, and so much more. And get this, y'all. It's only 
$25 a month. You heard that right. It's only $25 a month. But you know how Fat Joe said yesterday's price won't be today's price or, you know, that saying that's exactly how it's going to be. So you might want to get in while you can. I'll go ahead and leave the link down below and your fellow trailblazers are inside waiting for you. And we hope to see you soon. Let's go ahead and get back to the episode. But you're not teaching what the people need. Right. And Tate Holland was so disappointed that he couldn't bring the book into the school. Mm -hmm. He told me, I'm going to reach out to you one day soon. And as soon as he opened mud, he called me and put the books in the store. Wow. I love that. Yeah. The power of relationships too. That's, it's, that's what it's all about. It's yeah. all about relationships. Yeah. So how did you, so go from a hundred and well, 16 pages to 180 pages. I guess you realized there was more that needed to be said then. I, I just started writing. Mm -hmm. I just started writing. You know, that's the thing. You just have to start. Neil Fiore in his book, The Now Habit, says, if you keep starting, the finishing will take care of itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just kept writing. And then I would write and then I'd organize, oh, this needs to go in this section. This needs to go in that section. I typed it all up on my Mac SE computer, yeah. the little one. <laughs> and I figured out how to print it. There used to be a bookstore in LA called Bookstar. This is before Barnes and Noble. And I would go there and say, can you show me some books that teach you how to write a book? So it was everything. It was the book. It was the distribution. It was the, <clears throat> the barcode. Right. That's important. The SKU, all of these things, getting it copywritten, all of those things. Wow. I had to do all of those things. And then I got the book printed and I got it printed in California. So I didn't make any money on the first book because it cost so much to print it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was doing. You got to remember that. Right. But I remember going to my P.O. box because back then there was no Internet. I go to my P.O. box. I made these flyers and I mailed them out. I can't remember how I where I got mailing lists to mail them out, but I did. And then I'd go to my P.O. box and there would be checks in there for $39.95. Okay. And when I got the books printed the first time and they brought them on two pallets and put them in the garage, my husband couldn't even park his Range Rover in the garage. <laughs> the garage was full of books. I love that. So what year was that that you wrote the first book? 1994. Wow. 1994. 1994. Do you know Tanya you... Russell? Tanya Russell? Artist in LA. Tanya <laughs> Russell has all of my magazines first told. I don't know if you know, I put out a magazine for a while. The magazine and the books. And she laid them out and took a picture of them. I have that picture somewhere. Of all the books, she kept every magazine. She kept all of her books. Every couple of years, she'd buy a new book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember how long it took you the first time to a write year. the book? Took me a year. Okay. To, like, to, to get it out, to write it, to publish it, copyright. Yes. Okay. And nobody wanted it. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted it. I tried to get a publisher. Nobody would publish it. Nobody wanted to carry it. There was one bookstore in L.A. called Samuel French Bookstore. It was an entertainment bookstore on Sunset Boulevard. So I went up there 
And I told them I had this idea for a book. And if I wrote it, would they carry it in the store? And they said, yes. And then the guy, his name was Jim Fox. He said, how much you want to charge for it? I said, $39.95. He said, no, 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 no. Nobody's going to buy that book for $39.95. I said, no, I think they will. He said, I'm telling you, nobody is going to buy it. I got the book done. I wrote it. I printed it. I took 10 of them up to Jim Fox at Samuel French Bookstore And he Uh looked at the book and he's like, oh my God, you've done a fabulous job because I did it all myself. Then he flipped it over and it was $39.95. He said, Crystal, I told you maybe $14.99, maybe $19.95, but nobody's going to buy it for $39.95. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Put Put it in the store. If nobody buys it, I'll come back and get it. Two weeks later, he called me back and said, can I get 25? Right. I got in my car, put the books in my car, got in my car, drove up Sunset Boulevard, drove up in front of Samuel French, got out, opened the trunk, like selling bean pies out the back of my car (laughs) and handed them to him. Uh A month after that, he went to the American Booksellers Association convention in Chicago and called me up and said, I need 400 of those books. Wow. And I said, not that $39.95. $39.95 cent book nobody was going to buy. He said, I have no explanation. I said, I told you there are lots of people who want to do this and they don't know how to do it. Right. And that is the story of the career guy. I love that. So you were obviously feeling a need, feeling a void at that time. Cause I always hear coaches say, as long as you help people get what they want, then you can get what you want as well. That's right. That's right. And I just wanted, at the time, there were only like five agencies in LA. You think about how many makeup artists and hair people, everybody was not going to have an agency. So mm-hmm. what were the people who didn't have agencies going to do? Yeah, They didn't know what to do. And nobody would tell them, kind of like now, mm-hmm. nobody would tell them exactly what to do. Yeah, And that's why I wrote that book all the way down to sending in your paperwork, getting your jobs confirmed, you know, petty cash, everything that you needed to know that I thought of. And every time I redid it, I'd add something more. So the new one is 384 pages. Wow. Because times are changing. Things are changing. Things are changing. I like the idea of that because you can write a book and just do multiple editions and just keep adding on to it because of, like I said, times are changing, adding Mm -hmm. information in. I like that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. How have you been able to just like leverage the book over the years to grow your business? Oh my gosh. Well, the thing is the book made me the expert on career building. Okay. Not just for makeup artists, makeup, hair, fashion stylists. It made me the go-to person and people would just send people to me. Well, you need to talk to Crystal. Go get Crystal's book. Go take Crystal's class. So then I started getting calls from people like Michael DeVellis. Michael DeVellis had me come and sent me out on tour to do a smaller version of my portfolio workshop in the Mac stores. Wow. (laughs) I got hired by Sephora. I've worked for Sephora, gone in and showed them how to put together their portfolios. I've been to Toronto to do a train the trainers for Mac. I said wow. something easy. That's why they didn't ask me back. 
<laughs> hey, but you were there though. I was there. <laughs> and I'll tell you something else. When I first did the career guide, it didn't have anything in it, but just the words and pictures. I got a call from a guy by the name of Jay Colvin. Mm-hmm. He had a company called JC Presentations. There were three portfolio companies, JC Presentations. Uh, there was, and two more, well, two were in New York and one was in New Jersey. Jay was in New Jersey. He called me up one day and he said, can I buy some advertising in that book? Oh. I said, I guess so. <laughs> That's a good idea. He said, how much? And I was like, uh, I came up with a number. I think I sold the first pages after he said he wanted to buy a page. Then I went around to all the other makeup schools, makeup designery, make in some of the books, makeup designery has the inside front cover and the inside back cover. Wow. I love right? that. So it wasn't even my idea. It was his idea. And I just took it and ran with it. That was when I was able to make money on the book. Because finally, see, because you got to remember, makeup is still a niche market. Mm-hmm. Makeup is still a niche market. It wasn't like I was going to sell a million books. That's a, yeah, that's true. But if I could sell 5,000 books in a year, but I sold out $50,000 worth of advertising in the book, mm-hmm. it was all good. Yeah. Dang, my wheels are turning. I love that because I'm asking because I want to write a book one day. Um, I already had the topic in mind. It's something that I'm very good at. Um, so I'm just trying to prepare myself for how I would go about it. And I feel like it's easier nowadays, though. It's a lot more resources um, available to write books, print books, and just get it out oh, there yeah. quicker. Um, so, yeah, that's something I'm planning totally. on. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. One of I- the things I've been considering doing, I haven't done it, but keep talking about it is turning the career guide into an audio book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just haven't found the energy to record 384 pages. Yeah, you just do it in like in sections. No. I know. And I have a recording studio I could do it in. Mm-hmm. So we'll sense. see. I've got other things on my plat- plate right now. Yes, yes. I saw that you you quit your corporate job to become an agent. Just mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to jump into it. I don't know anything about this, but you found that there were similarities in the two from what you were doing in corporate to becoming an agent for beauty. What were those similarities that you found? I used to always say the product is different, but the process is still the same. Mm-hmm. Selling copiers is the same as selling artists. Wow. And it might not seem like it, but at, at the time... For instance, artists had comp cards. And what was a comp card? A comp card showed your work. And sometimes on the back, it might have your resume. A copier, we had these sheets that were like comp cards. And there was a picture of the copier on the front. And on the back of the sheet, it told you all the specifics of the copier. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? Right, same thing. It was no different to me. It was just going out and talking to people instead of going to... Uh, Shell Oil or um, or Chevron to sell a big copier. I was going to Atlantic Records, Sony Music, Virgin Records, and meeting with art directors and 
showing them the portfolios of the artists that I represented. Yeah. It wasn't any different to me. Yeah. How did you get your first client as an agent without having the experience in like the beauty industry? Well, that's a good story. You mean client, you meaning artists? Yeah, artists. Uh-huh. I quit my job to represent this photographer, Bobby Holland. Okay. Look him up. His work is amazing. But he fired me. He it fired you afterwards? Months, he fired me like six months later after I quit my job and and to represent him. And I loved what I was doing. I had found my space in the sun. I was like, this is it. This is what I love doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day I went to the studio and he changed the locks on the doors. This is out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. He was the kind of person who said, <clears throat> like people got to stick together. We got to do this. We got to do that. We're in the struggle together. And I met this woman who was also representing a photographer. And I was so excited to meet her. I had created all these systems and stuff at Bobby's and I couldn't wait to tell her all about it. Well, that wasn't what he meant. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. wasn't what he meant. And he didn't like it. His exact words to me, remember how you said, you, you think in the past, the things you can remember, his exact words to me is, where as long as you're going to do what you want to do and you're not going to do what I want you to do, I'm going to have to do what I don't want to do. And that, that severed this relationship. So he was upset that you shared some systems and just tools with her. That I created. Right? Not only that, but we had been able to keep our Xerox and memory writer typewriters. And I took my Xerox and memory writer typewriter down there and replaced the IBM Selectric said, we need to use this because it would... It was all electronic and fabulous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> how about this? Fast forward about 15 years later, I'm in LA on Wilshire Boulevard at this club and it's dark in there. I can't really see people. And the waitress is standing there and I said, hi, can I get a whatever I was drinking at the time, probably a Kia Royale. And I heard this voice say, I'll get it for you. Mm-hmm. Bobby, you going to buy a drink for me? Right. You sure? Yeah. yeah. And he said to me, honestly, he said, you scared me to death. You were just, because I'm like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> it, it took me no time to understand what was going on and how to do it. Uh-huh. And what had really happened was, the more competent he found that I was, the more responsibility he gave me, the more responsibility he gave me. And the more he told people to talk to Crystal, people would call up and ask to speak to me instead of ask to speak to him. So mm -hmm. on the days that he wasn't doing anything, he wasn't doing anything. Yeah. But, you know, we kissed and made up. That's good. We kissed and made up because I adored him. Do you hear me? Mm -hmm. I thought he was one of the greatest photographers. And let me tell you what he was shooting. Covers of Essence, Denzel Washington, okay, Richard Pryor, Earth, Wind & Fire, The Jackson 5, mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, 
everybody. He yeah. was shooting everybody. And I remember me and him and Denzel Washington sitting in his studio with our feet up on the table, right? Our feet up on the table and he had shot him and we were just sitting there talking. Uh-huh. And I had gone to this place called Dem Bones and bought all this barbecue and brought it back. And me and Bobby and Denzel sat in the studio and ate barbecue together. I love that. Oh my gosh. Sharon, just sharing space with Denzel Washington because I feel like he's like the most like low key celebrity. So he was so somebody cool. has a story about Denzel. It's like really, you met him. What was he like? Oh, he was so cool. Just n- not the least bit pretentious. Just really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, wow. Hey, you live and you learn. I mean, obviously he probably, you had to get fired for a reason in order to go on and. Well, here's the thing. I, I, after that, I said, Bobby hiring me was the best thing that happened to me in 1985. Bobby firing me was the best thing that happened to me in 1986. Wow. And this is the thing. Life is full of trials. And there's no point in crying over spilled milk. You have to make lemonade out of that. You got to figure out what you're going to do. And here's the thing. This goes to the artist that I represented. Bobby's top makeup artist called me up and asked me to be her agent. Mm -hmm. I said, why do you want me to be your agent? The photographer that you've been working with for five years fires me. You want me to be your agent. She said, do you think you're the first rep Bobby ever fired? Right. She said, we took bets on how long you would last. I lost. Oh my God. They didn't think I would last. They didn't think I would last. And so she came to me and asked me to be her agent. I said, no. She said, yes. I said, no. She threw her portfolio in my living room, ran out the house, proving that creative people are crazy. (laughs) And then she called me a couple of days later. I said, I'm not doing this. I'm going back to corporate America. I'm going to go beg my sales manager, Bob Moore, for my job back. Mm-hmm. And she came over to get her portfolio. And she had a little piece of paper in her hand. She said, okay, I know you don't want to do this. Okay. But would you just, you're really good at negotiating. Would you do this one thing for me? And I said, what? She said, would you call these people because she wants me me to do her makeup who's she janet i said janet who she said janet jackson i snatched that piece of paper get it to me what (laughs) she said yeah janet's doing this new album called control and she wants me to do her makeup and that was the very first makeup job i negotiated and you got to remember this is 1986 Tara said to me, I said, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? She said, tell them I want $950. I said, $950? For what? She said, to do Janet's makeup. I said, oh, Tara, nobody's going to give you $950 to put some mascara on Janet Jackson? (laughs) She said, I make $750 now. I said, $750 a day? That was when I learned about it. In 1986, though. 1986. Hmm. 1986. Nine, I got her $950 for 
on a 10 hour day, time and a half from 10 to 12, double time from 12 to 14, triple time from 14 on. And those videos were like three days in a row, 17 hours. The first check I got from Propaganda Films was $9,140. And I didn't even know I was supposed to charge them an agency fee on top. Right. And see, this is one of the reasons I teach because artists are leaving their money on the table every day Mm -hmm. because number one, they don't like to ask because especially women think I don't want to bother them. So they don't ask. And then they get on set and find out that somebody standing next to them is making $200 more a day than they are. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Or they they had to drive five hours when they should have insisted on having a flight and a hotel. Mm. But they don't know what to ask for and they don't know how to ask for it. Wow. It's huge. It's very huge. Let me tell you, how about this? When I represented makeup, hair, and stylists, we worked, did a lot of jobs for Essence. As a matter of fact, I just found a whole thing when I went to my storage, all these tear sheets, essence tear sheets and all that. Do you know that whenever my artists work on editorial and I don't care whether it was essence, Rolling Stone, a Vanity Fair, I always got overtime if it went over. And it always you know goes people, over. You know why people don't get overtime? But they don't ask. That's right. Because you don't even have to ask. All you got to do is write it on the deal memo and send it over and let somebody sign it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's always going to go over. Every production that I have ever worked on has never been this time to this time. It's right. always going to go over. Right. And artists are working for free. You might have been getting $1,000 for the day at 10 hours. You made $100 an hour, but now it's 12 hours and you're not at $100 an hour anymore. Now you're at 80. Mm-hmm. And if it goes 14 hours, you're at 65. Right. You're losing money. You're losing money. Yeah. Uh-huh. What about the productions that already have their set budget and they say, this is the rate? Do you recommend people negotiating that? Why shouldn't you? It? Okay. It, it, listen, here's the thing. They expect most of you just to go, okay. And you go, okay, because you don't know how you add value. Mm. and you can't communicate how you add value because most artists think the value they bring is where they went to school, the classes that they took, and the people people that they studied under. But Mm. in truth, your value isn't wrapped up in your ability to solve problems for the producer on set. Hey, I know you're enjoying the episode, but I need you to do something really, really important for me like right now. I need you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let the people know how much you love the Friends of Beauty podcast. See, in the podcast streets, I'm going to let you know something. If you don't leave a review, then people don't know that the show exists and then the show won't grow. Reviews are so essential to the continued success of the Friends of Beauty podcast and plus... 
I really just want to know what you think about the podcast. I appreciate all the DMs, but a five-star review would be even better. I would love to read your review on the show and give you a shout out for being a loyal listener. And if it's not a five-star review, don't even worry about it. All right, don't even worry. Just go ahead and send me an email, honey. We ain't got time for that. If you're watching me on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, give this video a thumbs up, and even leave a comment to share a takeaway from something that you learned so far. If you don't subscribe or give a thumbs up, then the YouTube streets don't know that the Friends of Beauty podcast exists either. You see how this is going? This is a group effort and I appreciate you so, so much. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Let's go ahead and get back into the episode. But if you can't, if, if see, the thing is, if you don't know how you add value and you can't communicate it, then when they say this is what we have to offer, you have nothing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Because what you should be saying is, oh, that's not a bad number. Let me tell you what I was thinking and let's see where we can work this out. It's like you don't even have to be artists get so uh, like this. And I think people are also nervous of like, well, if I come back with a a number that they don't want to pay, then maybe they just say, never mind. And then I don't have the job at all. Yeah, that's true but you know you know why that is so impactful that's impactful because you don't have enough stuff in the pipeline Mm -hmm. if you if you haven't been putting yourself out there for people to find you you're always in desperation for whatever job is being offered to you sounds true the other thing is if you're spending more money than you make on stuff you can't afford you are in bondage all the time because mm-hmm. you always have to take the job in order to pay your bills for the stuff that you've maxed out. So you, true. You, you haven't given yourself any room. You've got to give yourself some room to be able to negotiate. You've got to be able to give yourself some room to be able to say no. Mm-hmm. And you've got to learn how to communicate to the decision maker why you're worth the extra money that you're asking for. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I love this. I know this is like people are having aha moments right now. I can already feel it. I can already feel it. You know, and I I tell artists all the time, last thing you need is another tube of lipstick Mm -hmm. or another makeup class because you're not making any money with the stuff you got in your kit right now. (laughs) What you need are the business skills to be able to put yourself out to negotiate what you believe you deserve based upon the way you add value. Mm -hmm. But people don't, they don't take it that far. I mean, I've heard, especially hairstylists. Well, why should I pay you that money? I went to a beta. Uh, (laughs) Okay, girl. I went to Paul Mitchell. (laughs) Not only does nobody care that you went to a beta, Nobody's going to ask you on a production job where you went to school. Yeah. What they want to know is what are you bringing to the party in addition to your great attitude Mm. and being fun on set? Yeah. So like what kind of things should people be communicating? Like when it comes to the value that they add, since it's not like necessarily the skill set, like what are the things they should be communicating well, you got to look back at your other jobs. Mm-hmm. If you stop to think for a second, if you've worked on 10 jobs and you actually got hired back by that person, 
there's a reason they're hiring you back. If you mm. don't know why they're hiring you back, you can never ask somebody else for more money. Yeah. Do you, you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. If the producer says to you, the reason I love working with you on set is you create an atmosphere in the dressing room that is no drama. Whenever we work together, the actors, the actresses, the models come out there in such a good mood. They always, we love having you around. Those are the ways that you add value. Because mm -hmm. how many sets have you been on that there was drama in the dressing room? Right. You see what I mean? You've yeah. got to figure out how you add value. It, when I do the Win Now Mentorship Program, I have three challenges. One of them, because the course is 12 weeks, one of them, the first one is the adding value challenge where the students have to go to their clients and ask them five questions. Mm -hmm. Why do you hire me? What is it about what I bring to the table that causes you to want to ask me. So there are these five questions. I can't remember what all five questions are, yes. but once they get the answer to those five questions from 10 different clients. And then you can see like a, a pattern. You can see a pattern. Mm -hmm. And the reason 80% of those people hire you is the reason most other people are going to hire you. But if you never know, you're just a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the prices, the price of commodities goes up and down. But the oh. thing is, there are some people that you see around, their price is always going up because they figured it out. Exactly. And they're confident too. They're confident. That, they're confident. And confidence so much sense. Confidence is built with small acts of everyday courage. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, you need to go and do that. Yeah. When I'm coaching clients, I find out what they're afraid of and I make them do that. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I'm, I'm here for that. Because you have to build the muscle. Courage is a muscle and you do not become courageous or confident by sitting around thinking about it. Sometimes it's as simple as you go into a grocery store, you're looking for the French vanilla creamer, you can't find it. And instead of going to one of the cashiers and asking them if there's some French vanilla creamer in the back, you don't ask anybody because you don't want to bother them. Right. And now your coffee don't taste the same. You're not happy. That's right. But the <laughs> thing is, that small act of courage is the beginning of is the beginning of a trend. That Doing that and finding out, oh my God, nothing, nothing happened. But some people don't feel like they're worthy mm -hmm. to ask. And with women in particular, it's because we were told little girls should be seen and not heard. Uh -huh. Those things that are embedded in you. Those things that are embedded in you. And I'll tell you something, Stewie and I went to Scotland to a castle. There was a lady that came, we were on a tour. And she had this beautiful little daughter and the daughter was jumping all around and it was a very small tour. So it wasn't a big deal. And she kept apologizing for her daughter mm -hmm. and telling her, stop, stop, be quiet, be quiet. And the tour operator said, don't worry 
about it. It's fine. As Stewie and I, an hour later, as Stewie and I were leaving the tour, this woman was sitting on a bench with her daughter on her lap. I am a perfect stranger. Stewie is a perfect stranger. Uh-huh. As we're walking by, she said, oh, I just want to apologize for the way my daughter was acting. No. And I said, really, no, it was nothing. And I walked a little ways. I said, Stewie, I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. And I went back. I said, you can tell me to shut up anytime you get ready, but let me tell you something. I can't think of anything worse than that little girl hearing her mother apologize for her for just being precocious. Yes. Apologizing for her. That's the last thing that she should hear from you. I said, and let me tell you what happens. If you keep doing that and keep putting that in her head, when she's 30, she won't even be able to ask for a raise. Hmm. She's like, I'm sorry um, that I'm coming to you for this, but... um, Mm -hmm. Apologizing. And let me tell you something. Bosses don't like that. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes that Weasley apology. Like, they're looking at you thinking, you don't deserve it. Stand up. Hold your shoulders back. Hold your head up. My grandmother used to walk behind me and put her fist in my back and say, sit up straight. Hold your head up. I'd rather have you trip and fall when you walk than see you walk with your head down. Mm. This, ooh, you have said so much. <laughs> like my wheels are turning. And I just like the, the challenge that you said you give your students. I absolutely love that because when I had my webinar on, on Friday, just mastering the art of consistency, because people always tell me I'm consistent. And I'm like, I need to figure out a way to just communicate what I've been doing consistently with people. And one of the things I kept finding myself telling them was like, if you don't know, ask. Like, if you don't know what kind of content your your person wants, ask. If you don't know like what value you bring, ask. Because I've been through programs before where it's like, we had to do the exact same thing. Like, go to our friends and family and our clients in particular and ask them a set of questions. And because sometimes it's hard for us to look outside of ourselves to be like, okay, I'm good at this. But when yeah. you see a bunch of people pointing out things that they notice within you, you're like, oh, like, I didn't even realize, like, I, that's just a part of who I am. Like, I didn't realize it was impacting people in that way. So I absolutely love that you mentioned, like, like surveying your clients and gathering yes. that information. It's going to help so much. Artists are so afraid to ask their clients what they think. How can you be afraid? This person just hired you. You want to know what they think. And um, I had an artist in one of the win nows a few years ago, and she gave that survey, a hairstylist to all of her clients. And see, the thing about giving somebody the survey is you open up a door for them to communicate with you because people a lot of times won't tell you what's wrong. They'll just start finding somebody to replace you with because Mm -hmm. they don't feel like you have given them the space to be honest. Mm. So when you give them the space to be honest and they know, then they know you're not going to be upset about it, whatever they say. And this client told her, well, I love the way you color my hair, but a couple of times I left here and there was dye on the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it until I was in Neiman Marcus and somebody pointed it out to me. Now, how embarrassed is she? Right. And the thing is, she wasn't going to suffer that forever. 
Mm-hmm. She would go find somebody else who wasn't do that instead of telling you because the, the door wasn't open for her to be honest. Wow. Wow. So if you're not getting a call back from somebody, you might want to dig a little deeper. Right. But at the same time, if you're not getting a call back, don't think it's something you've done wrong. That's the other thing. Internalizing it must be me oh, yeah. when the thing to do is just to reach out and ask. Mm-hmm. you never know they might have just exhausted their budget realize they don't need makeup and hair every single day you know <laughs> exactly it's not even it's not even a slight against you mm-hmm. this is like a random random question that I just had but like um how good or bad are you how good are you with your own hair and makeup now with like being surrounded by all of these beauty pros for over 30 years like are you good with your hair and makeup uh I've always been good with my hair I color my own hair which I did two days ago uh-huh and I blow it flat iron it I've always been good with my hair because I started doing my own hair when I was 12 uh, oh I love that am I good with the makeup no I don't think so <laughs> I don't you think don't so I watch oh yes I do <laughs> I watch uh Delina Medin Yes. I watch Ellie Luna and a couple of other people, but um, I just love what they do and the way they explain it. And of course, Delina is one of my clients. Yes, I saw. Delina is one of my coaching clients. So I just call her up. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a Sephora. I hate Sephora. I hate shopping for makeup. It is so overwhelming. I have to know exactly what I'm going in there to get. I'll call Delina and say, Delina, I I need something for this. And she'll say, oh, okay, you need this. She'll send me a text and then I'll go in and say, this is what she told me to get. Right. Because I don't want those Sephora artists telling me what I need. It's hit or miss sometimes. It's hit or miss. Hit or miss. But yeah, there are a few people that I watch and uh, yeah, like Delina will call me up and say, your makeup looks really good. (laughs) <laughs> I gotta get her on here because you're the second person to mention her like I follow her but somebody else mentioned her a couple of other times like at least two other people have mentioned Delina and I'm like I know exactly what you're talking about but have you, know, you know she's got a podcast called I do. It Takes a Village yep let me tell you Delina has something to say Delina was the most courageous client I've ever had I love that whatever I told her to do she just did it just like when I was a sales rep, I just go out and do it. So yeah. I'd say, I need you. I want you to go do this. Okay. She wouldn't think about it. She wouldn't get in her head. She's like, like Mel Robbins says, five, four, three, two, one, go. Yes. I love Mel Robbins. Yeah. Right. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Yeah. I feel like that's how I've been in coaching programs from what I've observed, at least the coaching programs that I've been a part of in the beauty industry in particular. I feel like I've always been the person that implemented with the coach said while I watched and watched back while other people would make excuses as to like why they couldn't do it or you know just holding themselves back I've always been the person to just like even if I was scared a lot of times it wasn't things that resonated with me I'm like I don't know if I would do that but I would still do it like because you just never know what the result is going to be you're in your head about what is what you think is going to be but you don't actually know if that's true until you actually go out and do it exactly I call that um, 
What was I going to say? Doing it scared. Just yeah, do it scared. You, mm -hmm. you, you, you don't have time to wait until you're not scared. Because the thing happen. that's scaring you is not going away until you take an action to do something. Mm -hmm. It's so simple. You know, this is the beauty of one-on-one -on -one coaching because people cannot get away. <laughs> if it's a group coaching thing, it's they can easy fade to the back. They can fade in the back. When I do the Win Now Mentorship Program, you know what I tell them? Sit in the front of the class. It's online. I'm like, sit in the front of the class. I said, now I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to say, who would like to, uh, who has something to say about this? And if nobody says anything, I'm just going to pick you. So you might as well sit in the front of the class and raise your hand and say, I, I'll tell you. And after a couple of weeks, they just get used to it. And see, this is the thing. The things that scare you are the things you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Those absolutely. are the things you need to be doing. And the coaching relationship is one of accountability because I am not doing the work for you. I am going to tell you what to do. I am going to give you the answers. That is what you are paying for me to do. But I am, but you have to do the work. Yep. And a lot of people have a problem with that, but you got to push yourself, y'all. You got to push yourself. You got to push yourself. I mean, I've got some very, very, very successful clients. Yeah. Because they do the work. Because they do the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Do you have any tips for people who want to get a coach? Like, what should they, what are some kind of bullet points that they should be looking for when trying to find a coach that's good for them or best for and what they're looking for? You know what? It's funny you ask that because Delina did a video for me oh, good. telling you how to find a coach. I love it. One of the things was find somebody who is invested in your success. What else did she say? Um, make sure that the person that you're hiring has a track record has some receipts. See, yes. this is the thing. I find, how old are you? I'm 36. You're 36. Okay, so 36. Your generation, not you, but your generation likes shiny objects. Mm, shiny object syndrome. We're like, ooh, ooh. Ah. Yeah, exactly. So if somebody tells you what they're going to do for you, but they don't have any receipts to prove that they've ever done it, if the object is shiny enough, you just go for it. Yeah. If it's wrapped in like a Balenciaga or like yes, a Yes, girl. You know, looking real nice in like a court, like right. a nice car. Right. I, I mean, I've had people go and hire other coaches and come back to me and say, well, I wanted to hire you, but I went with this person. Now I don't have any money. I can't help you. <laughs> because you can look around. You can look around, you can see the Delinas, the Naima Lafons, the Yancey Edwards, the Kendall, Kendall uh, 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 Dorsey's. All of these, yes. uh-huh. All of these are my clients. Wow. They either took my class. Oh yeah. Uh, Danielle uh, Lewis. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Stephanie Fleur. 
Oh yes. Mm-hmm. These are my babies. I love that. And I just saw Yancey when, um, cause we got the award at the same time. I got the trailblazer award from mm-hmm. black beauty roster and he got one for, um, hair. Mm-hmm. These are all like my, these are all my people, mm-hmm. you know, and then newer artists, Cassandra normal who moved to LA, uh, Shaharli, um, Blake. Yes. We we share a, a clients. Well, she's she was in one of my programs before that I had before, uh, a while ago. Show yes, Hartley. Yes. You know, and they're doing well. Yes, they're, they're doing well, and uh, I'm so proud of them. Yeah, that's that's great, and just to be able to be a part of people's journey in that way, I feel like that is just so impact, impactful. Do you have any like for people who are coaches? any tips that you could offer for them to be better? Like what is some, or better yet, like what are some things that you do personally to like, to keep developing yourself so that you could show up for your clients? Oh, okay. Uh, one of the things that I have for my clients is an assessment. Mm-hmm. And it takes them about two weeks to fill it out. <laughs> right. And it's a deep dive. Because rarely is an artist unsuccessful because they're not talented. Mm -hmm. They're unsuccessful because they're not following up and following through. They've got some underlying issues from when they were kids. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so for me, it really helps. That assessment really helps. And it doesn't just uncover that. It lets me know what your lifestyle is like. Like if you are 36 years old, you got no kids and no husband, you can do anything and go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if you've got two kids and a husband, that means the strategy has to be different for you because you can't yeah. pick up and leave your kids. So that's one of the things. The other thing is I have a coaching journal for my clients. Mm-hmm. And it has some very impactful questions in it. And I call it a weekend review. And every single week, even if we're only meeting every two weeks, every week, they have to send me their weekend review. So I can see the progress they're making and they can see the progress they're making. Mm-hmm. Um, It seems like like just several touch points for them to just keep themselves accountable. Yeah, keep themselves accountable. And yeah, I have I, I have created the whole thing because I took a couple of coaching courses and I saw what they had. I said, oh, I can do better than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't just have makeup artists. I have a client that used to be a makeup artist. I had a client that used to be a makeup artist and she decided to open a wine distribution business. Oh, nice. In New York while she was living in France. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. I've got a communications CEO of a communications company. Um, and I've had photographers because I started out as a photographer's rep. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've created this system and um, 
at the end of the day, it's the accountability. And I, I'm not for everybody. I'm tough. Mm -hmm. Because I don't see how me being easy on you is going to serve you when you're dealing with a producer producer on a job who's bearing down on you and you've got 10 artists that are underneath you. Yeah. And I would rather you learn how to bear up under the pressure with me so that when you get on set, it's a piece of cake. Right. I'm scared now, look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, one of my... Um, one of my, um, I just saw that thing says Citibank. Whenever I see that, it makes me think, who right. is absconding with my credit card? That just happened to me the other day. I'm like, it's the holiday season. Oh, yeah. Somebody got hold of something and yeah, swiped exactly. it twice. So I was like, oh. Exactly. Gas or something. And I always grab the gas thing to see if it's like right. straight. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it's okay. It'll come back. Maybe, maybe not. It'll come back. Yeah. One thing that I also, I was like stalking your site and stuff like that. And you, you alluded to something about maybe like losing a job or being an agent at the time and having like financial issues in the midst of like running the business. It was something that it was on the site. But I just wanted to know, like, just for people who may be in situations like that, maybe they're a coach or something like that, and the finances aren't necessarily financing the way that they would like, but they have clients. Maybe they're just mismanaging their money. I don't know. Like, well, what? It can be that they're mismanaging their money. It can be that they need to raise their rates. That, yeah. And it can be that you're not given enough value. Mm-hmm. Most of my clients, a lot of them are referrals from other people. Mm -hmm. Somebody that's working with me tells somebody else that they need to work with me. And that person tells somebody else. So most of the people that come to me were referred to me by somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I always say, I'm not cheap, but I do get results. Yeah. I do get results. And that's what it's all about, getting results and creating an independent you with the courage to command the numbers that you want so that you can support yourself and your family and have a lifestyle that you enjoy. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. yep. Like mindset wise, how do you stay mentally tough when your current lifestyle doesn't match the perception of what you provide for people? Well, that's somebody's personal problem, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That That's putting something out there. I'm not putting something out there. I, I, I do not have the time to fake it. Right? If you are walking around with a Gucci bag, with $2,500 $2, Gucci bag with $25 in it, Right. You're driving a car you can't afford because you want people to see you in some kind of light that actually doesn't exist. Mm. Then you are trick or treat. You are putting yourself in a trick bag 
so you can satisfy everybody else because you are comparing yourself to everything you see on Instagram and it's not real. That's why mm-hmm. half of these people are committing suicide every other day. Yeah, they can't handle it. The pressure. They said the pressure is getting worse. The pressure. The pressure is getting worse. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. Because it kind of seems like, not that that's what I'm doing, but it just, from what I observed, I always felt like people who have this image or the perception that is painted that way, they they seem to just get people in their pipeline like like this whereas somebody who's a little bit more authentic it just takes them longer to reach the goals that they they have and that's because of the time we're living in mm-hmm. because that wasn't the case 15 years ago right it's the shiny object syndrome they're mm-hmm. going for the shiny object yeah they're going for the shiny object and you but the other thing is don't forget Women who make $35,000 a year wear red bottom shoes. How the hell do they do that? Right. So what that means is either you have to become a better sales rep, you have to understand your client better Mm -hmm. so that you know how to find them. Because the thing is, one of the things, and this is with artists and everything, most of them don't even know who their client is. Yep. They think it's everybody. They think it's everybody. That's if they got a face, if they got hair, you know, that, a body that's my dress. <laughs> yeah. That's not my client. Mm-hmm. I turn people down all the time. That we're not a fit. Yeah. Mm, I like that. And you have to be able to do that. But then that goes back to the bondage part. If you're living beyond your means, you can't afford to say no. Mm-hmm. To wait for something better. Yep. You got to free yourself first. You have to free yourself first. Wow. Stop spending money you don't have on shit you can't afford. Yes. Here, I'll say it again without shit. Can you want me to say it? Yeah, you can be as raw as you need to be. Shoot. <laughs> it's real though. Right? I I have a couple of nice bags. And guess what? They are like old now. Uh-huh. I'm not going out and buying a new bag every year. I'm going to take care of the ones I have. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. I've got 32-year-old dresses in my closet uh-huh. that I can still fit. Well, look at you. Shoot. Right? Because why would you spend $800 on it? I spent my, the first expensive dress I ever bought was in San Francisco at Nordstrom. Uh-huh. It was a Donna Karen, not to be confused with DKNY. It was Donna Karen. It was $800. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh no, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. They put me in that dressing room. I put that dress on. I bought that dress. I still have that dress. In fact, the dress was beige. And then it got some little stain on it that wouldn't come out. I dyed, had the dress dyed black. I know that's right. And I wear it a couple times a year because there is nothing like it. Mm. I remember my ex-husband said to me one time, when I put something on that he didn't like, I wore it anyway, but we had to go to counseling. And I said, the counselor said, what was it that you didn't like about it? He said, my wife is a classic and that wasn't classic. Mm -mm. Okay. That wasn't classic. 
He just didn't like it. It was Donna Karen, but it came down here and had a little snap here. And then I had these blue crepe bell-bottom pants. They were, the whole thing was fabulous, but he was not happy. That's how you got to spice it up a little bit. Exactly. Oh, I believe in that. I didn't change it. I'm not. No, that's not. Yeah. Okay. It's like when I, when I dyed my hair blonde. Mm -hmm. He left the house one day and I was a brunette. He came home and I was a blonde. Was, you a wild card yeah he was standing in the window looking out and i said what do you think do you like it he said no i said you get used to it i love that because some people go back and just have it died again back to brunette don't do it don't do it because men get bored quick mm -hmm. <laughs> it's crazy oh another thing before we like wrap up, I did want to ask you or just touch on, you mentioned having radiation. I know mm. that you went through some health challenges uh, recently. I would love to know like how you're doing, of course, now. Oh, I'm doing great. Okay. It was, I was in the UK. I, I, I was here. I went to the doctor because my doctor saw something. One of my lymph nodes was swollen. I go to the doctor. The doctor says, well, I want to do a, a biopsy on you. Can you come back tomorrow? I said, no, dude, I'm leaving for the UK tomorrow. He said, you want to do it now? Yeah, do it now. Mm -hmm. He does it. I get on a plane. <clears throat> I go to the UK. Eight days later, I get a call telling me I have tonsil cancer. Oh, wow. Right? So then I had to come back. Mm -hmm. So a couple of weeks later, or a week later after that, I had to come back. Mm -hmm. And I started this process. <clears throat> Here's what I learned. I've always been the kind of person who would advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. You have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. People just let these doctors tell them whatever. The thing is, you don't even know if the doctor you're talking to got A's in school. He might've got C's and D's. Right, just passed. He just barely made just it. Just barely passed. Or... It could be a doctor who's only a doctor because that's what his parents wanted him to do. It's not even the calling. Yeah. So I started from the very beginning gathering all this stuff and information. I had to go to all these tests and all these scans. And when I went to meet with the surgeon and the whole team, I went in there with my notebook. Mm -hmm. The first thing I said to the nurse, because I met with her first and she was black and I said, Am I going to be safe in here? I said, because, you know, these these women are dying. Black women are dying in these hospitals okay. in inordinate numbers. And I don't want to be one of them. So just let me know. Right. Be real with me, girl. Yeah. She's like, you be cool. It's cool. And it's funny because on the top of the building uh, for the uh, Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, it said Black Lives Matter. I said, OK, well, maybe I go in, I have all these questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about that? What about this? And the last question I asked them, I said, and is this going to affect my sex life? Mm -hmm. They were like, I said, I need to know. Right. Is this going to mess with my libido? Is this going to mess up my sex? They're like, no, it'll be okay. Okay, right on. Just need to know. But the whole time, because I had three surgeries in 2022, I had the tonsil surgery in April mm -hmm. and then April, May and June, I started the, uh, I started the uh, radiation that went till July 13th. 
-hmm. And then in August, I had a full hysterectomy. Wow. And then in November, I had a hip replacement. Oh my gosh. I had all that done. But let me tell you, I went in, when I went to see my, the doctor for my hip and my hysterectomy, I said, now, Dr. Winter, I chose you as my doctor. I said, but let's just get the elephant out the room. I am a black woman and black women are dying in these hospitals. So if you don't like black people, just tell me and I'll find another doctor. Uh, okay. She's like, no, no, no. I said, okay. Because, and then when, when I was in the hospital after the tonsil surgery, all these tubes coming out everywhere. And in the morning when doctors do rounds, they come around and they stand around the edge of your bed, like something you saw on TV. Yes. And they start talking about you. They're not even talking to you. Excuse me. <laughs> Wait, oh, like somebody's to, here. <laughs> would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, uh, how about you first? Who are you and what do you do? And who are you and what do you do? And who are you and who are you? And I made them all introduce themselves to me. My they best- They were ready for Crystal, right? <laughs> they were ready. And then they start talking about stuff. And the thing is they'll label you. They, they say, well, the, the patient has high blood pressure. Excuse me, I do not have high blood pressure. Hmm. My blood pressure is high. But that's not you. Yeah. But I do not have high blood pressure. And I don't want you saying I have high blood pressure because then you and the nurses will start treating me for an affliction I do not have. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And then when they left, they said, we'll be back in a little bit. They left and never came back. When they came back the next day, I said, oh, hold on a minute. I said, yesterday, you said you were coming back in a little bit. A little bit is not a unit of measure. Right. I need to know when you're coming. Well, this is the way we do it. I don't really care how you've been doing it. And I always smile. I don't really care how you've been doing it. Because if you tell me you're coming back in a little bit, my little bit is different than yours. My little bit, I think, not 24 hours. I think you're coming back in half an hour. Your little bit might be tomorrow. Right. So that's not going to work. And they all start looking at their watches and just... So when are you coming back? Uh, we'll be back at 2.30. Sounds great. I'll see you then. Because right. you have to control what is going on in there. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. is what I'm, that is what I want to write about. Mm -hmm. That journey of taking care of yourself, of advocating for yourself. And even my doctor wanting to put me on a statin because she said my cholesterol was high. I said, shouldn't you be talking to me about my diet? Not right. putting me on a statin. She wrote the prescription. Why? Because they get paid when they write those prescriptions. And I never cash them out either. Y'all can write it all you want. I'm not picking it you up. You can write no all you want. And so I didn't take it. And I come back and she said, oh, your, 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 uh, your uh, cholesterol is going down. And that you're not being bothered by that statin? I said, Dr. Wynn, I didn't take that. I'm not taking that. Right. I am not taking a statin because I asked her, okay, well, if I start taking it, when can I get off of it? Blank stare. I said, never I get off of it. Can I? No. That is crazy. So how did you like go about running? Like the business kind of just like stopped when you were oh, going no. through everything? No, I never told anybody except my close circle of friends 
that were in a WhatsApp group and I swore them all to secrecy. Nobody could talk about it. I worked through the whole thing. Wow. I worked all through 2022. I didn't tell my clients because I knew what would happen. People would say, oh, you know, I think I'm thinking about hiring Crystal. Oh, not right now. Cause you know, she's got cancer. Oh no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't say anything until July 13th when I drove, had my last radiation treatment and I drove out of the parking lot and I pulled over on the side of the road and I went, <laughs> I did that shit. I did that shit. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, God, that gave me chills. Right. And it gave me chills because I feel like the climate that we're in, in social, on social media is like, they just want you to be so transparent and share like all these things that's supposed to make you relatable. And of course you could choose to share what you want to and don't, but the fact that you just kept it shut until everything was completely over. Oh yeah. I didn't say a word. I'm like operating business like normal. But you got to remember, I'm a different generation. We Mm -hmm. have real privacy. You are 36. I am 65. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I am not compelled to be t- putting all my business in the street because okay. all of that will come back to bite you. Yes. Oh my gosh. So are you, you're in remission now? Oh yeah, I'm done. Okay. It's fine. I'm fine. I've got a appointment on the 29th, but I had scans recently and there's no cancer. That's great. Oh, I have issues, some issues with my throat mm-hmm. where Phlegm gets caught in my throat, but my my clients take such good care of me. Mm-hmm. Tita Lyo Bancole, the manicurist, sent me this. Oh, nice grapeseed oil. She said, put this on your neck every day. Uh-huh. Put it on your neck, rub it in. Wow. Because the thing is, I don't have lymph nodes anymore. So mm-hmm. the stuff has to go somewhere. Got so you. when I do this and I just move it around and I'm fine. Because okay. after I did that, then I had the hysterectomy. That was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Because I was 160 something pounds because of the fibroids. Yeah. And once that was done, and it's not like the old days. When they used to cut women across their belly, they don't have to do that anymore. It's just like a little, little teeny tiny incision here, here, and through my belly button. Mm -hmm. And my doctor told me I couldn't work out for eight weeks. I put it up on the calendar. On October 14th, I laid down on the floor and did 225 crunches. I know that's right. Oh, yeah. Mm. Soldier. I am... I'm like, ain't nobody got time for anything else. When people start whining about what's wrong, I'm like, oh no. You have been, you you are a champion. I, I just love your resilience. I just, it's so admirable. Thank you. <laughs> when yeah. you think about like your legacy, because you, you've already created, you have like a living legacy because you're, of course, you're still with us. But when you think about the legacy that you intentionally want to leave um, on the beauty industry, like what is that? I want artists to be empowered to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. 
I wrote a couple of years ago, I help women to find and use their outside voices to achieve their goals, be productive, feel respected, and confident about their future. Mm -hmm. That is it. When I leave this earth, I want to know that you guys got all the tools you needed to sustain yourselves and your families and your lifestyles. And also that you didn't squander your blessings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you don't squander your blessing. That you don't misuse it or not use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right? Yeah. This is just so great. Is Is there anything else that's coming up next for you that you can share? You know, um, a few years ago, 10 years ago, I wrote a book called 30 Days at 100%, Changing Your Life 30 Days at a Time. Mm -hmm. And um, I dropped the ball on the book. Okay. And now I'm picking the ball back up. The other day, Danessa was on the podcast with Delina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Danessa talked about this book. I bought three of them. Uh-huh. So I gave them away as gifts. Who, not how. Who, not how. Okay. I have been guilty of focusing on the how mm-hmm. to get something done. When the truth is you can... If you focus on the how, you can get small things done. If you focus on the who, who can help you, who is your team, then you can scale Mm. and do big things. Because people don't want to really partner with you if you're thinking small. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who, not how. I'm grabbing that. Who, not how. I got the, bought the book and then I got the audio. And I got the audio on uh, Apple because I don't want a subscription to, what do you call it? Um, Like Audible. I don't want a subscription to Audible because I've got 20 books in my library and I haven't listened to all all of them. So as long as they're in my library, I can listen to them whenever I want. I'm like, I'm not getting a $14.99 monthly subscription for a bunch of books I'm not going to listen to. So you listen to them in iTunes or something? Uh, yeah, it's actually, I didn't even know you could listen to books on, um, I'm new to Apple products, so I didn't even realize you can do that. Books. Hold on. Wait a minute. Oh, I got to get my thing open. Uh Uh-huh. This has been so great. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm so glad you had me on. Me too. I got to get in. I never want to let people go when it gets to this point. It's like. (laughs) Well, you'll have to edit it down. Nobody wants to sit here and listen to us talk this long, do they? They go listen to the whole thing. If they need to pause it and come back to it. Because that's what I do with long podcasts. I might not sit and listen to the whole thing straight through, but I listen to the whole thing. All that. Okay. Books. So you just go to your search and type in books. And then when I read it. When I click on there. Nice. 
change both in himself and in the entrepreneurs and coaches. I and love that. Okay. I hope I didn't delete that because I just deleted a whole bunch of stuff off my iPhone because of my storage. So That's okay. You can put it back. It's probably there because I think it's one of those Apple things that's always there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, this has been incredible. Like, I, I appreciate you so much. But before you go, I have to ask you the Friends and Beauty rapid fire questions. Okay. To get your keys to longevity and success. So the first one is, what are the top three keys to your success so far? The top three keys to my success are stepping into areas where I didn't know how to do something, mm -hmm. just going for it. Being consistent, like you said, which is the key to everything. Yep. And um, having courage. Yep, I love it. Just love having it. courage. Yes. How do you measure your success? Oh, I measure my success by the things that I accomplish, the things mm -hmm. that I set out to do. Mm -hmm. Actually do them. They're actually doing them because everything else is just nothing. It's like 30 days at 100%, even though I put it out and I sold quite a few books, is unfinished business. It's like being under construction. Yeah. Right. It's like being it's like that's the piece of business that is so has the potential to be so great because it doesn't have anything to do with makeup, hair and wardrobe. It's to empower women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's universal. It's, you know, it's universal. And when I couldn't sleep last night and I kept waking up in the middle of the night. And I was writing things down and I was trying to write down. What is 30 days at 100%? I wrote a systematic approach for bringing about change in your personal or professional life by tackling one new challenge every 30 days. I can't tell you how long I've been trying to write that. <laughs> but it came to you at the right moment. It came to me at the right moment when I decided not to let myself off the hook. Mm -hmm. You can't yeah. let yourself off the hook. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. What is the best advice you've ever received or a piece of advice that's just always stuck with you? Oh, I know I have some good ones. <laughs> piece of advice that's always stuck with me. Oh, yeah. My second ex-husband <laughs> said, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So true. It's so true. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Because discipline is doing what you should do, whether you feel like it or not. Mm -hmm. And discipline leads to you staying ready. Because when there's something that you know you should do. So one of the things that I have people do in my Win Now Mentorship Program is I have them complete a sentence. Mm -hmm. I am 100% win. 
That's part of 30 days of 100. I am 100% win. So you choose an area of your life. It might be your finances. I am 100% when my checking account balance is X. I am 100% when my credit score is 820. I am 100% when my checking account balance is never below or is always above $1,500. Once you've done it, you go and you pick one thing you're going to work on for the next 30 days. Because that... I am 100% is the standard that you are setting for yourself. It is the standard of excellence you are setting for yourself. And once you've said it out loud, and now you need to, I am 100% when I do this. When you're not doing it, you're making a choice and a decision to be less than 100%. Mm. I can't wait for this book. (laughs) oh it was out there it was out there but I the thing is I came up with a couple of things I wanted to put in it one of them is my wall of wins Mm -hmm. and um there was something else I actually me and my best friend we um do mini wins we would have like little celebrations like even if it's something small like Mm -hmm. just milestones you know Mm -hmm. yeah right um, I am 100, the process is your, I am 100% wins your wall of wins, because in particular, when something goes wrong business-wise in a woman's life, she starts beating herself up for everything. Mm-hmm. And the wall of wins reminds you that you're still winning. Yep. You can look up there and go, but wait a minute. I'm still a badass. That's right. Look at that. I can see that. And then identifying and planning for what could derail you. A lot of times people don't plan for what could take them off of their A game. Right. Right. Because it's going to happen. Yeah. You just, you just going along thinking everything's going to be peachy king. And then when something happens to derail you, it throws everything off. Mm-hmm. It could be elderly parents. It could be that you're an only child. And you have elderly parents. And if something goes wrong there, you're going to be the one that has to move back home to take care of them. Yeah. So what can you do now? What things can you put in place to help you with that? So it doesn't derail you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, this is so good. Right? <laughs> yes. What advice would you give to a, a beauty pro right now who is just ready to give up on their business and go back to corporate? <laughs> I would say if you've ever been successful, go back to the basics. Because a lot of times what happens is that you start going and everything is going great. And then you start slacking up on how you got there. Yeah. Right. Back to the go basics. back. Go back to the basics. The next thing is ask for help. If you're a good person, you can ask for help and somebody will help you. Right. If you're a jerk. Nobody cares. Right. Right. Go back to the basics. It happens all the time with my clients. They'll call me up and, you know, I need to get back into coaching or I, I, you know, I need to do this. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Really? Do you really need that? Right. Tell me what's wrong. This, this, and this. Didn't I already teach you how to do that? Uh... Oh, yeah. 
Don't you have notes? Yeah, go back to your notes, go back to your handbook and look at the things that you did to become successful because those things will still work. Mm. See, the thing about this generation is that they think that the internet and social media is the end all be all. Right. They think that's all you gotta have and you're gonna get discovered and be famous. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, the thing that has never changed is that this is a business of relationships. Yep. And if you don't know how, how to build relationship, create relationship, work inside relationship, you might be successful for a while, but then a lot of times it just all falls apart because nobody likes you. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to help you. There's no such thing as I did it all by myself. Right. I didn't do what I did by myself. I couldn't have done what I did without so many people stepped up to help me. Michael Develis, when he owned the powder, he owns the powder group, but Michael Develis started the makeup show. Yeah. Right. And it was Michael Develis that wanted to put me, to send me out to do classes. Mm -hmm. That legitimized what I was doing even exactly. more. Yes. That relationship. I've been trying to get him on the podcast too, but he's just so busy. I'm about to text him right after this too, because he gave me his number. But oh, yeah. Like over a year, I've been trying to get this man on the podcast. Oh, yeah. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, what is what is a resource that helps you or has helped you in your business that you could share with the friends and beauty community? Oh, that is a big question. A resource. Um, I would say the most recent resource that has changed my life, and this will work for some beauty and fashion professionals because now everybody wants to teach. Mm -hmm. I took a class and in the class, I was introduced to Kajabi. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And my website is on Kajabi and it has literally changed my life. I know that's right. That is a fabulous, fabulous tool. Okay. Uh, a tool for makeup and hair artists. I would say a lot of people use Pinterest. Mm -hmm. I actually hate Pinterest, but <laughs> they use Pinterest, but LaBook. Do you familiar with LaBook? I haven't heard of it. LaBook.com is where you can find the top photographers in the world and see the kind of work that they're doing. Because when you start thinking about your I am 100% when, mm -hmm. you start thinking about the kinds of jobs that you want to do. Most artists don't even know where to go to find the photographers that are actually working on those jobs. Okay. LaBook is super fantastic as a resource to be able to just look across the board and see what photographers are doing what. It's like you're looking at these magazines. They said magazines were dead, but some of them are still here. Looking at these magazines, but who shot it? Right. Mm -hmm. Who shot it? 
who did the makeup, who did the hair. And I would say an underutilized resource are credits. People don't read the credits. I know I do. <laughs> and if you don't read the credits, your pool doesn't, a lot of times doesn't get any bigger. Mm -hmm. You keep going back to the same pool of people because you're not reading the credits to know who's doing what. And as an artist, let's say you're looking for people to assist. You've got this small pool of people that everybody else is trying to assist. And what you need to do is expand your territory. Right. Because a lot of people go on Instagram and search for the who's who. But a lot of those people that are in the credits don't even have like pop in Instagram pages. They probably had like 200 followers posts once or twice a year. <laughs> Yeah. You know, people say, oh, nobody needs a website anymore. Okay. Don't let that be the belief that keeps you out of the big leagues. Hmm. Nobody has a website anymore. Who told you that? They. What? I said, well, see, they? listening to they. But who are they? Yeah, who are they? Because they usually don't know. <laughs> Right? They right. usually don't know. The other day I put something <clears throat> in my win now group and they were like, I didn't know about that. That's why you're here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So the last one, I just okay. want you to fill in the blank and just say, my name is blank. And the key to longevity and success is whatever you think it is personally. Mm. My name is Crystal Wright. And I think that the keys to longevity in any business are... Trustworthiness, showing up for yourself. If you mm -hmm. show up for yourself, you're showing up for everybody else. Trustworthiness, showing up for yourself. Doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So that people can count on you. Yeah. Because you can't go very far if nobody can count on you to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. This is like a dream come true. Okay. So before you go, that's <laughs> so silly. Before you go, please share like your social media website, however you want people to connect with you, follow your journey, get coaching, purchase this book, like everything, <laughs> anything you want to share. Okay. So my website is crystalwrightlive.com. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at crystalwrightlive. I am on LinkedIn as crystalwrightlive. Um, what else was there? Was there something else? I think you got everything, website, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. Okay. And um, yeah, if you think that you might be interested in discussing a coaching relationship with me, you can go to Instagram and DM me 
And um, I always respond back. I always reply. My email address is crystal at crystalwrightlive.com. Don't forget the live.com on it. And um, yeah. Well, I just have to express my immense gratitude for your time, for you pouring into us for this amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the Friends of Beauty podcast. I'm just, I'm just like so tickled right now. And yeah, I look forward to continuing to tap into what you're doing, purchasing the book when you, you know, revamp it. And just, yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. <laughs> thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Friends in Beauty podcast. Don't forget, sharing is caring. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with another friend in beauty. Give it a thumbs up and subscribe. Rate and leave a five-star review so that other friends in beauty can find the show. Plus, we'd love to hear your feedback. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Friends in Beauty. Hashtag Friends in Beauty to join the conversation and join our Friends in Beauty Facebook community to stay connected. Talk to you soon.